Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we'll be interviewing two individuals. Keyshawn Johnson, throw me the damn ball. Love Key, man. Outspoken wide receiver, former USC Trojan, and Bob Glauber. But before we get to our guest, I wanted to talk about this drone strike in Afghanistan back in August as we were drawing that killed 10 Afghani civilians. The Pentagon has recently acknowledged that the drone strike was a mistake. I mean, understatement. First, I don't think I can recall an administration ever admitting that they got a drone strike wrong, but I'm not, I'm sure it's not the first time that this has happened. I know President Biden has taken a lot of shots about how he withdrew from Afghanistan and some of it was deserved, but this drone strike is yet another example to me of at least when we got the policy right in ending the war, even if the withdrawal itself was more chaotic than it should have been. When you get out of the nation building business, like I hope we are, Hopefully the drone strike should end too. And with less drone strikes, there's less opportunity for this type of tragic error. Now there has to be accountability. People need to be fired. Generals need to be gone. But I think Americans should be particularly concerned about these strikes as they are very rarely, rarely on target for their intended targets, but they often come with significant civilian deaths. So my hope is that this is the last time we'll see this type of tragic error. May the 20 individuals who lost their lives um, may their memory all be a blessing. And that's that on that. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Man, today is a special episode of the Bakari Sellers podcast. We have two awesome Hall of Famers in their own right. Let me just go ahead and throw that out there. We have uh, Bob Glauber. Did I get that right, Bob? You did. You did. Thank there you. There we there we go. And and Keyshawn Johnson. What's going on, Key? How you doing today, man? I'm good. I'm just uh you know, taking it all in. It's a, <laughs> it's a big Sunday football night yesterday and and uh you know, watched all of that. Now I'm just enjoying Monday cuz I have to watch Green Bay Packers and Detroit Lions. God, I don't know. Uh there's actually a guy out there. This is a true story. There's a guy who put $25 down on a 16-team parlay that has he he hit 15 of them so far and he has to win Detroit Lions tonight money line bet. So uh, there are a lot of individuals and he wins $737,000 off a $25 bet. So there are a lot of people tonight who are going to be watching the Detroit Lions as well uh, or pulling for them. Bob it, before we get too deep into all of this, I wanted to introduce you guys to uh, my listeners. And so, uh, Bob, you've been a football writer at, at New, uh, Newsday since 1992. 
Why did you decide on a career in covering football and what keeps you in the business this long? That's, that's a good question. And actually, my first season covering the NFL was 1985. So I you know, went to Newsday in 89 and became columnist in 92. And I, I never find it boring. I never find it boring because it's a it's a people sport. And I get to meet people like Keyshawn Johnson, like Bill Parcells, like Tom Brady, like Bill Belichick. I mean, and, and I have the benefit of of history in that. I knew Bill Belichick when he actually, you know, spoke to people and was, you know, fun loving and jovial and asked how your I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that person. I don't know who that is now. Right. No, nobody does. But I see Bill Belichick and he'll smile. And because we go back when he was not known, uh, certainly as Bill Belichick is today. But so so I am passionate about covering it. It's fun. It's never boring and it's always different and it's always interesting. Key. So you were in the league and and for a number of years, but when you were in the league, did you always know that this would be the next chapter of your life? Uh, television, commentating, being an author, all of these things. Did you know this was next? Not necessarily. I mean, I figured I'd probably get into some television stuff when my career winded down, but nothing significant. Um, because I was still playing. So I would, I really, you know, I really didn't know where it would go. I just know that I knew that I would be doing something for somebody. How did that transition work? I know we hear the stories all the time about NFL players having trouble transitioning to the post NFL life because hell, you guys have been playing football since you four or five years old. It's all, you know, how was that transition for you into this new role where, now there are there's an entire generation of people that don't know the shit talking wide receiver who wanted to catch absolutely everything, but they know you instead as a debonair commentator on the sport. How was that transition? It's been fine. Um, you know, I just it, a lot of guys think that it's easy, I guess, and they want to get into it, but don't realize the amount of work that goes into being, you know, having the the platform and being the guy that a network looks to to reestablish something. They think it's just, oh, I'm getting up and I'm gonna talk about football or sports because I played it. There's actually a lot of a lot of work that goes into it, um, especially for me, because I, I also work on the production side of what we do, not just the talent side. So, you know, it's it's one of those deals, man, where you gotta, you know, once your playing career is over with or start to wind down, you gotta have an extra strategy and a plan. Mm, that's a true story. So let's talk about the forgotten first. Why did you two decide to write this book and what do you want your audiences to get out of it? I'll let e- either one of you all chime in on that because I'm really interested in this in this combination that's come together. I mean, this is like if y'all two were wrestlers, y'all could win the WWE championship. This is a hell of a tag team. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, I would say that Bob is the writer and he's the brain trust behind everything. I'm just a guy who piggyback who's piggybacking off of Bob. No, um, come on now. Come you on. You know, it's <laughs> it's it, it's a story that needed to be told. And a lot of us that are black, or even those that are not black, that grew up in a sports era, you didn't know about the Forgotten Four. We know about Jackie Robinson, obviously, and Jesse Owens, because those stories are told to us on a daily in school where the forgotten four hasn't been told, right? You, you don't hear about Kenny Washington or Woody Stroll or 
or Mary Motley, Bill Willis. None, none of that is told. You don't, you don't know about George Preston Marshall unless you are following the Washington football team and know their history. Um, so for me, given all the different things that we've gone on for the last several years in our country, this is, this is an important part of history that hasn't been told that was kind of like, you know, just buried and brushed aside. Uh, it falls in the lines with the Black Wall Street of Tulsa. hundred years of those sort of things never been told to us in our classroom. So hopefully writing this book in conjunction with, with Bob on this project will open up a lot of eyes and get people to pay attention to it. You bring up a good point. You actually transitioned into my next question. You, you almost answered it. But, Bob, I want you to chime in here. It, you know, he mentioned Jackie Robinson. Like, I, I know who integrated baseball. Right. Mm-hmm. I know the mm-hmm. whole story about it. Jackie Robinson wasn't even the best baseball player in his own league when they brought him over. Right. Hell of a baseball player. But there's an argument that there were many who were better. We know those stories. But for some reason, even I have to Google who integrated football and basketball. Why do you think there's such a lack of awareness? What, what does that stem from? And, and thank I mean, and thank both of y'all for this has been one of the best books I've read all year. So thank you for that. Well, well, thank you for that. Um, it's a passion of ours. And I think there, there are a few reasons. It's a complicated reason for why this is not told more. Part of it is that, you know, unlike baseball, where Jackie Robinson, that was a purposeful decision by Branch Rickey, the general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, to sign Jackie Robinson. Branch Rickey knew there would be a lot of blowback by that. With the forgotten first, you know, integration was kind of forced on the NFL in 1946 with Kenny Washington and Woody Strode joining the Rams. And if anyone is the the Branch Rickey of this story, it's Paul Brown of the uh, Cleveland Browns who brought in Bill Willis and Marion Motley willingly, purposely, did it quietly, did not make a big deal like Branch Rickey did with Jackie Robinson, but knew what he was doing. So this is, it's kind of an awkward, clunky, messy beginning that gets to where we are today, where 70% of the NFL is African-American. But the, that beginning was, was a little difficult and awkward, and, and football was not the biggest sport at the time. So I think a combination of factors leaves this story with guys like you and me Googling, hey, who's the first <laughs> black player in the modern I'm serious. Yeah. Like, I'm a football writer. I should know this. But I didn't know it. And I'm like – you know what? I bet you I bet you a lot of people don't know it. And Keyshawn and I spoke last August and I, I, I ran this idea past him. And, you know, within two minutes, he was like, hey, this is this is pretty interesting. And then another thing I told him that really resonated with both of us, I said, Key, you know that Kenny Washington played high school football no more than 10 miles from where you played high school football in Los Angeles and and Woody Strode as well. And and he's like. I never knew that. Like nobody knows that. So this is this is a good opportunity to tell this story and four guys who really deserve a lot of historical recognition. And hopefully this will help get it. What has the NFL done to honor these men? Because I, I feel like a part of why we don't hear about them as much as Major League Baseball or other organizations is because, you know, they have a 42 day. Everybody wears number 42. Um, what what has the NFL done? And if they haven't done anything, why haven't they? That's a really good question. 
And I think I think I think they will get around to it. I think this is a new it's like a, a, a it's like a new changing of the guard, so to speak. It's like a new era, right? You 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 look at where we were in the past, the way things were being done. And then all of a sudden, in the last 18 months, the world has been turned upside down. Correct. And eyes have been open. And people feel different now than they did 18 months ago about everything in life. So I think as you start to see the NFL and Roger Goodell and Troy Vincent in a leadership role, you'll start to see things get attention paid to a little bit more. You know, attention will be paid to things that attention wasn't paid to before because they didn't have to. Mm. Now it's almost like if you don't, we know what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you, I'll add to that, Key. I I honestly don't know, Bakari, if like, like I think this book, and, I, and I'm not being self-absorbed or self-centered with it, but I, I don't think the NFL was really aware that this I was, is that's the, what I was going to say. I mean, I, 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 I don't think they were willingly hiding anything. I just don't no, think no, people no, knew. I mean, yes, I, exactly. <laughs> Even the NFL doesn't know. This is the 75th anniversary. That's a big deal. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you next year, Major League Baseball will make a huge deal out of Jackie Robinson's 75th anniversary of breaking the color barrier in baseball. There's no doubt. They do it every year. They All the players wear number 42 on mm-hmm. one day in April. Every year. But the names of these four men who reintegrated the modern you know, world of pro football, they're forgotten. And that's that's why that title kind of works. They are the forgotten first to reintegrate the NFL. And hope, hopefully they, they kind of get their just due moving forward. Let me ask both of you this question. Every book changes the author who writes it. Every time you write a book, it, it changes you. And I'm sure this book is no different. How did this book change each of you and help realign your orientation around the work that you do now? I don't, I don't know if it realigned anything for me, to be honest with you, just because I've always been a fan of, of, of certain history, especially when it comes to being black and understanding the, the, the road that we've traveled to get to the place that we are at today. Um, the only thing I think for me it's going to be able to do is try to help educate others and talk talk to other people about things that we don't know about in our own in our own history. Because to me, this is a part of our, our history is and, and part of my history because of the NFL. But it's part of our history as being black. Again, I didn't learn about Tulsa and Black Wall Street until eighteen months or so ago. Yeah, because it just wasn't something that was taught growing up in high school or college. It just nothing was ever mentioned. I'll tell you. And, and you know, Key, Key has mentioned to me before about like George Preston Marshall, the the level of racist he was. Neither of us knew exactly how that. That was and that was that was huge. Um I, I was I was moved at a lot of levels. Uh, first of all, getting to know the families of these players, and they were really willing and, and generous with their time. They kind of carry the I don't want to say the scars of the lack of recognition, but they 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 they're all very aware of it. 
And just to know where the NFL came from to mm-hmm. where it is now, it's fascinating. Because that, that's why, like, how, did, how does this come about? I'm, like, standing in the locker room at the Giants thinking, you know, this is a really diverse sport. Okay, how, how did it get that way? Because in the time I've been covering it, it's gotten more diverse. And then you go back and say, wow, there was a, there was a period of 12 years where there were no black players in the NFL. Uh, whether And it was purposeful. You know, it wasn't written. But that's a fact. And four guys did a lot to, to kind of set the stage for where we are today, where we take it for granted that, um, you know, the, the league is predominantly black right now. Yeah, man, I'd be interested to see how many GMs and head coaches actually know this history. I know many of them will read the book now. The Dabos of the world, the the Nick Saban, Nick probably knows, but the Dabos of the world and many others, I'm sure now will be will be uh, compelled to read this book, as will the Lamar Jacksons of the world. I want them to feel proud of, of, of where they come from. Um, and I think this book goes a long way. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Wearing a men's warehouse outfit makes you confident, like you could do anything. So you dance like no one is watching, even though everyone is watching. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you interview like the job is already yours because it is. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you golf as if the rules don't apply to you because you're too well-dressed for rules. Because of the men's warehouse outfit. At Men's Warehouse, get measured, get fitted, get hot, get confident in everything from tailored suits to underwear and all the stuff in between. Love the way you look at Men's Warehouse. While I have both of you all here, they're, they're no better exports, experts in one of the sports that I love. Uh, so let's talk a little football while I have you guys here. And one of the major things um, that I wanted to, to discuss with you is COVID and how COVID has somewhat changed the landscape. As a journalist who reports on the game in Keyshawn, as a former player, how is the issue of vaccination status affecting the league and locker rooms? And that leads into my next question, which is everybody got hurt. And Cam Newton is the best thing sitting on the sideline. So I wanted to ask, why is that the case? You know, I don't think that it's doing anything to the locker room. When you're inside the locker room, people kind of, everybody have their own views on gender, race, religion. Everybody's got their own views. You don't talk about certain things in the locker room because it's not, it's, you know, it's not your, so to speak, it's not your business, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I don't get caught up. Like if I was in the locker room and there was an individual that wasn't vaccinated, I'd have a conversation with him about why I did it, but I wouldn't have a conversation about why he didn't do it or isn't going to do it because it wouldn't be important to me 
to understand why he feels a certain way. It wouldn't be important to me because that's his feelings. He feels a certain way about the science. I feel a certain way about science. He feels a certain way about eating chicken. I feel a certain (laughs) way about eating chicken. He likes convertible cars. I don't. So you just don't, you know, one guy is Catholic. Another dude is Baptist. One dude is Jewish. Another dude is is Christian. So I, I don't get caught up in those things inside of a locker room. I think in terms of the league, the way they're handling it, I understand it. I get it. It's a corporation and they're into making money. And anytime there's, you're going to jeopardize making money, then you putting yourself in a bad situation because they're saying to themselves, if I put you out there on the field in our locker room and you're not vaccinated, you're not handling the protocols the way that they're supposed to, and you becoming reckless, then you jeopardize us. And all of a sudden, everything else that we're supposed to be playing for gets jeopardized. So therefore they're shutting down stadiums and forfeiting and I'm losing money. So I, I get it. I mean, I, well, let me, I, let me I ask you this key. Let me ask you this. The key. Owners are saying. Let me ask you this just to push back ever so gently. You said it ain't none of your business, but at the end of the day, it is a, it is business. I mean, let's imagine your starting quarterback doesn't get the vaccine and y'all are seven and eight. It's the last Sunday in the season. And, you know, your quarterback has to sit out now because he didn't get vaccinated and he has a special protocol. I mean, so that. Yeah, that's no, that's true. That's true. But it's not my business to tell him to get vaccinated. The only thing I can do is give him the information that I gather to put myself in a position to be vaccinated. And in the end, I feel strong about it. I trust the science. I trust the guys with the white jackets and the pants. (laughs) <laughs> Some people don't have enough of the information. And if they do have the information, they don't fully understand it. So therefore, I can't force them to do it. I'm not going to beat their head in because they decide not to do it. That's when I say it's not my business. It's like, OK, here's why I did it. And it worked for me. But if it doesn't work for you, none of my business. You've got to answer to the owners. You've got to answer to the NFL. The NFL PA, y'all gonna have to deal with that because I've already tried. I've <laughs> given my I've given my point of view. In your in your 30 years, 30 plus years, Bob, in the business, have you seen the league have to adjust to anything like they are today? Or even over the last 18 months, the adjustment that the league has had to go through and the kind of morphosis that they've gone through. Have you seen anything like this? No, I have not seen anything this um convulsive, for lack of a better word. In terms of um, social justice, they were caught so flat-footed with the anthem controversy um, back in 2018, and they and they changed, they evolved to the point where they're supporting their players now, where they were against the players. And 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 in terms of COVID, I mean, there's nothing, there's been nothing like this in, in the world, yeah, right. And they have done a remarkable job of adjusting getting an entire season in last year against all odds without vaccines. It was, it was incredible. Now let's not, let's not lose sight of the fact that they're into making money and they needed that season to happen to set up these gargantuan uh, television contracts that they signed. This is, this is a multi-billion dollar industry and that was their, their purpose, but they used the science to their advantage. And I think they did, some good for the country in showing how you can 
kind of get out and 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 be functional no during a pandemic. I mean, who and would ever guess that the Raiders are functional? I mean, I, the Raiders right. are, <laughs> <laughs> they are, and they're leading the way. Shout out to the Davis family and the Las Vegas Raiders and everything that they're doing about ensuring the safety of people and having butts in the seats all at the same mm-hmm. time. The functional Raiders. Like, Key, let me ask you a question about Cam Newton. Why isn't he on a team right now? Do you think it stems from vaccination or the fact that being a backup is just, is the juice not worth the squeeze, to use an old Southern saying, having Cam Newton as a backup back there, it may bring too much attention to, to, to what's not happening on the field. A little bit of the, I think a lot of it might be the vaccination. You, you got to understand, Cam Newton is a minimum player. He's not Kirk Cousins and he's not Derek Carr. If he had those contracts, then he probably would be on a team because they would figure out a way to make it right. But Car- when you- Carson, because Car- to prove your point, Carson Wentz ain't been vaccinated. He got COVID, still ain't vaccinated, and he's still out there running around. So you're right. Well, because of the money. Follow yeah. the money. And, 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 you know, when you got big ticket items, certain things, you know, God, people going to do certain things. But when you only account for three and a half million dollars of real money, in the NFL, that ain't nothing. But when you account for $70 million of real money, no matter how much money the owners have, they're not cutting it. They'll figure out how to isolate themselves and take the risk of the team being shut down opposed to somebody that makes a little bit of money. Um, you know, Washington football team, why they haven't signed Cam, I have no idea. One could only speculate. Your coach had cancer and your quarterback can't be unvaccinated with your coach just in chemo last year. I mean, I think that, that's the answer to that one. Well, yeah, but remember, he didn't have cancer. I mean, he didn't have – we didn't have vaccinations a year ago when Cam was free to do whatever he wanted to last spring. Correct. They didn't sign him and they had the opportunity to sign him. And they it had nothing have. to do. Right. It had nothing to do with COVID back then. So I don't want to I don't want to speculate and say, well, Ron Rivera had cancer, so he don't want to sign Cam. But he didn't want to sign him last year <laughs> in the offseason. And he had just had Cam. So I think that that's a little bit different from what their thought process is. Fair enough. Bob, are you paying attention to what's going on? Or are you are you on a book tour? Um, so getting making sure people people know us. <laughs> who oh, what? My, so my day job is, is, is Tuesday <laughs> you, football columnist. You so better I'm you better pump yeah. you better pump those articles out, man. Look who who. Oh, yeah. What are the three teams that surprise that have surprised you so far in any direction, being good or bad? Surprise. I guess the Raiders would be a surprise, but I will tell you, two weeks is still a mirage in this league. Give me a month. Give me six weeks. And then I'll I'll fall in love with you, all right? Because we saw this from the Raiders last year, and we've seen it in years past. So I'll count them as one. Uh, this is Dolphins. different, Bob. This is different, though. Why? This this is different. This Why? Raider team is different than the ones that we saw go six and two last year. They just beat, beat two pretty good defenses mm-hmm. in a hostile environment when they went on the road and beat a Pittsburgh team that thumped a. Uh, 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 Buffalo Bill team a week before with no no Jacobs in the backfield, no Josh Jacobs in the backfield. It, it's just a different, it just feels different. It feels like they're going to come out on the better end of this one. Right. 
And David Carr looks like a real quarterback back there. Now, can he be consistent through 16? That's it. That's it. That's or is he going to turn? Show me, show me midseason, Key, and, and we'll, we'll have this discussion again. And I'll, I'll know if you win or yeah, win. That's just, that's just like everybody saying Carr's no good. Carr's oh, good. Oh, no, there's no, there's he's no good. way he's a top five quarterback in the league. I'm like, what are you talking about? All his numbers do is speak to that. His numbers are the same as everybody else's. The part of the problem is when you set a narrative about somebody or a team, people tend to follow that. And when people set the narrative that the Raiders aren't good, people follow that and never give them the benefit of the doubt because they haven't been good in the last several weeks, several years. Several. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Since you're throwing out numbers and you're talking about top five, you know I'm a Falcons fan. And my oh, quarterback yeah. puts up top five numbers every year and we can't win with him. There's also we also can't do anything. You can't go out and draft. You can't get a free but agent it quarterback. It ain't, it ain't him. They defense suck. The defense. Defense suck. suck. <laughs> OK. And, and they ran out of they ran out of options. So it's not him. It's not Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan can't play defense. He's not the one surrendering leads. It's just like Derek Carr. Derek Carr's not the now that their defense is better. The Raiders defense is better than it was in the past. It's better. It's actually physically, actually, factually better. Hmm. Kari, you're you're in, you're in for you're I hope you're patient because you're in for a, a bit of a wait here with the Falcons. Oh no, so, we no we uh since it was 21 to 3 and we decided not to run the ball in the second half, it has not been. We ran the ball four times in the yeah, second half of that Super Bowl. I was there. I was there. I don't even want to <laughs> Sorry. I don't even want to talk about it. Key, let me ask you this. Before I let you go, I got two more questions for you guys. I know you guys are busy, and I'm so thankful that you all have taken out time. I want people to remember that the reason that we're here, and I'm just talking football with them because I get to talk shit on my own show, is the Forgotten First, which is an amazing piece of history, man. They should like use this book in sports journalism schools around the country and journalism schools around the country. But Key, who should be USC's next coach? And help me understand how a juggernaut like USC uh, that's in L.A. with the NIL and everything like that. And it's a fertile recruiting territory. Isn't always dominant. What has happened to Southern California? Nothing really other than we can't figure out how to win the big important game. They've won a lot of games under Clay Hill. Uh, they just can't figure out how to beat the, 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 the big boys, right? They couldn't figure out how to beat Ohio state, uh, Alabama. You know, they got thumped. They got thumped by, I believe it was Iowa in a bowl game. And that's just not USC. But he's, he did win a lot of games there. I mean, he beat Penn State in the Rose Bowl, but then he just never got a chance to win those other bowl games or those open college day bowls. We were not going anywhere. We were losing the teams that we shouldn't lose to, like a Stanford team the other day. And as far as a coach goes, I, mean, I have no idea. This is a long season on evaluating coaches and names are going to be thrown out there and everybody's going to speculate if it's James Franklin, if it's not James Franklin, is it Eric the enemy, is it not Eric the enemy? That's just what's going to happen over the next several, the next several months. Um, is it Keyshawn Johnson? Is it Keyshawn? Yeah, that's what I want to I mean, know. shit, if we're going to break I'm news, good. is it Keyshawn Johnson? I'm, I'm good. They wouldn't, I'm not the right hire for them. <laughs> you do know James, only, James Franklin is a home run. James Franklin is a home run. I mean, James Franklin, I wanted James Franklin in South Carolina so bad. But yeah, I, we do I don't play. Know that he's, I don't know that he's a home run. I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to just say he's a home run. I don't, because he was, you know, it ain't like he'd been lighting the world on fire at Penn State either. Yeah, he don't have a, he don't have the same resources y'all got at USC. He he won at Vanderbilt yeah, he and he, SC- got the same, he got the same resources. No, no. I, I, he, yeah, he do. 
He does. What what resources he got that's different than the resources in, in Clemson? Clemson, I mean, that's a whole different. I don't even like talking about Clemson football. I'm a Gamecock. I'm SEC. I don't even think y'all play real what's football the, in a Pac-12. What's the difference? What's but the they difference have, in the resources? They have, I mean, they started winning. So, I mean, they they when they started winning, now their their resources are second to none. They're they're athletic. You don't pro- think you don't think you don't think Penn State has a, a nice weight room facility, nice dorm room. It's they decent, from the but New I mean, Jersey it, area. They New, can recruit nationally. It's a national brand. Well, I mean, New Jersey and Pennsylvania is a, a hotbed for recruits. Yeah, I hear you. It's I a mean, hotbed I, for recruits. It, it's a it's 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 a second tier hotbed for recruits. I mean, it ain't Georgia, you can Florida. Pluck a dude out of Florida every now and then. You can pluck somebody out of California. I, I think he, I think he got resources. I'm just saying, it ain't like, you know, you asking Nick Saban to come. <laughs> So I, I get it. Brother man is good. He's been doing a good job. And he also won but at I Vanderbilt. Mean, he won at Vanderbilt in the SEC. He won He won games. He took Vanderbilt of all places to a bowl game. Last question for you guys. You just haven't been able to get over the hump at Penn State to me. That's true. Last question for you guys. Does anybody beat, uh, does anybody beat Alabama in football this year? Or uh, does anybody beat Tampa Bay. I mean, I know they beat them, but if somebody surplant them as being champions, I'm not saying Tampa Bay is going 20 and 0, but it looks like with Tom Brady back there tossing that thing around, uh, like he's 30 again, they look really, really good. So does anybody upstage Tampa Bay or Alabama this year? Well, I'll take um, uh, Tampa to me is potentially fallible. I, I listen, they're 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 going great, and Brady's feeling good at 44. He's incredible. The guy wants to play to 50. So the the NFC is so top-heavy this year, just a handful of teams. I thought the Packers um, – I still think the Packers can can make a decent run, but Rodgers has got to get his get his head together and get his mind right. I, I think it's right. Um, but I love the AFC. I think the AFC is going to be so battle-tested by the time the Super Bowl comes around. You saw that game, uh, Kansas Last City, Baltimore. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So that that's really good football. Um, so I'll say Tampa Bay can be upset. Nick Saban, no, no, that's <laughs> so many damn good players. They just roll them out. Key, yep. your thoughts? Hey man, it's going to be tough for me to pass on Alabama right now. I don't care how Georgia looked defensively and whatnot. I just it's Alabama to lose as far as I'm concerned. Maybe maybe Georgia can do something with them. Maybe Oregon can do something with them. But I don't know, man. They just strong. Yeah, they 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 roll them out there, and, and I think I mean you were talking about the AFC, but the NFC West is a hell of a football conference. Oh my this goodness, year. yes, yeah. I yeah. mean, from top to bottom, who, who uh, does anybody upstage the Buccaneers? Key and and, and I know that's yeah. It, that pro football is different, man. Yeah, for you sure. know it's going even though Kansas City just lost, Kansas City gonna be in it. Baltimore gonna get their rhythm. We don't know what Seattle gonna be in the end. Arizona might just all of a sudden be a, a wonder type team this year, the Rams. I mean, it's all, you just don't know. The NFL is so different than college football. Well, fellas, I both have a great deal of respect. It's been a pleasure having you both on. Amazing penmanship and writing. Amazing idea. This story needs to be taught more often. Thank you both for coming on the Bakari Sellers podcast. I appreciate and love all the work that both of you guys are doing. So thank you and God bless you both. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Before I let you go, I wanted to talk about last week's California recall. In case you missed it, 
California Governor Gavin Newsom avoided a recall handily by a margin of almost 30 points. How you doing, Larry Elder? Predictably, national political media tried to frame Newsom's recall, one where COVID and Republican overreach were center stage. And they sought to portray this race as the playbook for Democrats in 2022. In fact, I would say, dare I say, they're they're wrong. We're always in a rush to nationalize races, but in a year as the incumbent party where we hold the White House and Congress, we shouldn't. Democrats have to make the positive case for why they deserve more power and what they've done with the power they have. And what that looks like for Sherry Beasley in North Carolina or Tim Ryan in Ohio will and should look very different than Newsom's race. A hyper local focus on voters' pockets in their neighborhoods with an occasional reminder that Republicans aren't up to doing the task is probably the play. And that won't look like this recall campaign in California. And it should look different in every race because the Democratic brand is received very differently across the spectrum. Democrats, ignore the noise and run your race. And that's that on that. We'll see you guys on Thursday. 